Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I guess as a kid, always sort of enjoyed playing the game of Monopoly and I always remember kind of saying, you know, the guy who had the most houses won. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Nero Thambi Pillay who not only has invested in property but he's helping others with the journey as well. The author of Dad Don't Quit On Us delves into his story about how he became interested in financing and plunging into investing while still managing to spend quality time with his family. After 18 years of investing in property, Nero Thambi Pillay is now also a father to two young boys. He shares with us why family is important in his life. They're obviously the love of my life and certainly you know, keep me well and truly grounded and focused, happily married and uh, I spend my day really helping others in, invest in property. A typical day for Thambi Pillay starts off with his two kids which really shows you can be a successful investor and have it all. I'm lucky enough that I spend the mornings with my kids, so I will do the school drop-offs and everything else, even breakfast before that and all that. So the mornings are some really quality time with the family. Then I'll sort of get into work, start my day shortly after 9, maybe 9.30. I'll generally spend my morning doing some study or, or reading into some sort of self-development. I truly believe that you know financial development is directly related to our self-development, so I'm always focus on doing some study and then it's sort of about getting on the phone, speaking to potential clients, maybe doing some of my YouTube videos or Facebook videos and just really trying to get the message out there about how I can uh, help others invest in property and look at the evenings. If I'm not seeing clients, I'll, I'll be home uh, with my wife and generally, you know, we're, we're watching some TV or a movie and just chilling out. Prior to investing in property, Thambi Palate talks about his upbringing in a small country town and how he gradually moved away from a career in engineering. I was born in Sri Lanka, came to Australia when I was, well, about a month shy of my ninth birthday. We grew up in a, in a small country town uh, called Griffith, which is about halfway between Sydney and Melbourne, for those who are unaware. And so I did all of my schooling there. Um, that was a very friendly, close-knit community. And so that's what I was used to. And then after high school, I was fortunate enough to, to get into the university of my choice to do an engineering degree, which is what I thought I wanted to do at, at that time and sort of uh, started on the path of engineering and then decided, no, I didn't like that and went into sort of finance and commerce and started working in that field you know, for large corporates before sort of finding out that property was a huge passion of mine and sort of moved into that direction, Taran. Thambi Pillay goes on to further discuss how he moved from Sri Lanka to Griffith in Australia and the next part of his journey. 
I actually moved out of Sri Lanka originally when I was about three months old. My family have lived in different parts of the world. We actually initially tried to live in Alice Springs, uh, I believe as the story goes, for a year. That didn't quite work out. Then we've lived in the UK for a few years and in Papua New Guinea before resettling into Australia. And it was Griffith that provided us a home there, which was great. And I said I was there for all of my schooling and really only left after I turned 18. I have asked my parents, uh, why do we end up in Griffith? And um, the, the story goes that you know we were in Sri Lanka at the time. My dad was sort of, uh, my parents were looking to, to migrate and leave the country. And uh, Australia was one of their number one destinations. And when dad, he's a doctor, he got an offer in Griffith. He initially turned it down. You know, he thought it was a small country town and you know it doesn't know anything about it. But apparently Griffith is one of the biggest exporters of rice. And apparently my mum picked up a rice packet after my dad had turned the offer down. And to see that the rice packet that we, she was about to use was exported from Griffith. So that then started a bit of a story of, oh, well, you know, Griffith may not be such a small town and, you know, it's the best offer we got. Let's check it out. And obviously the rest is history. So it all came down to the rice packet. Thambi Pillay continues to talk about his life in Australia after the age of 18. After finishing um, school and then moving up 18, um, you certainly moved more towards into sort of the Sydney kind of area, or not Sydney, but um, more into the city area. Um, How did you actually determine from, say, engineering, which is what you talked about, you studied there, moving into sort of finance and all that kind of stuff, like what kind of jobs did you take on during that period of time? My first job out of university was working for a larger corporate in sort of their e-commerce field, which I didn't know what that was when I first started. That was nearly 20 odd years ago. So I guess the the reason I got in that field is because I had an engineering degree and a commerce degree. So someone said, look, you'll be good in e-commerce. So that's where I started. But I always, I think, had a passion for property. And I remember very early on, you know, reading that most of the world's wealthiest people either stored their wealth in property or grew their wealth through property. So I figured if it was good enough for them, it would be good enough for me. So while I continued to sort of work and enjoyed what I did, I started investing on the side, trying a few different things to kind of, you know, build up on my own portfolio. Thambi Pillay's work journey definitely did not initially start with investment and how his job in a large corporation led him to transition. I was working for a large corporate for near on six, six odd years. And uh, because of my sort of, I guess, success in property at the time on the side, people started asking me for help. And I thought, oh, okay. And that was fun. I was good to, to help people. I was working for someone else. So obviously totally independent. But I started to get a bit of a taste enjoying helping people. So I thought, hmm. Maybe there is an industry here about, you know, in the property advisory space. And so I started looking around and I started, went to work for a couple of smaller companies. I was lucky enough that the first person I worked for was an actual mentor of mine um, who took me under his wing. So I was able to work for him in what he did. And having worked for probably two or three different companies and sort of learning a bit more about the industry, that was then when I decided to sort of go out on my own. His mentor really inspired him to go out and start doing his own thing. He's a serial entrepreneur and uh, probably still is to this day, but again, was very big on property. And so I sort of found him before the days of social Facebook and social media and, and uh, that sort of thing. He was just someone who wanted to help people, was very successful in what he did because I guess my passion in property, I knew that trying to work it out on my own, I could do it, but it was probably a journey that's been fraught with a, a lot of danger and risk. So I really wanted to work with someone who had at least 10 years worth of experience, 
had invested across multiple uh, markets and multiple different property cycles. So that way, then I could really get a good sense of, I guess, some of the things that maybe could trip me up in the future and maybe try to stay clear of as many of them as I possibly could. Fanby Pillay took his own interest into property and was not entirely influenced by anyone in particular, including his parents. I would say that my interest is very much self-driven. I probably come from just my study of successful people, entrepreneurs, property developers. And so that's really where the passion, I think, comes from. I guess as a kid, always sort of enjoyed playing the game of Monopoly and always remember kind of saying, you know, the guy who had the most houses won. And so for me, that's the game that I probably started playing as an adult and still enjoy to this day. So when did Thambi Pillay first venture down the property path? I was a, a young kid in my 20s wanting to get into, into property. As that first job out of university didn't really pay a great deal. I was lucky enough though to still be living with my parents, so didn't have too many expenses. But even then, although I was living in Sydney, the Sydney market was unaffordable to me. And now we're talking about 20 odd years ago. So I thought, well, I got two choices. I don't invest or I try and find other markets that have a good capital growth potential. So I guess I was lucky enough to sort of you know do a lot of research, sort of just apply some of the financial principles that I'd learned uh, at university, like you know, supply and demand. And um, I understood that, you know, one of the key risks about investing in property was the vacancy rate, because if you couldn't get your property rented, well, everything else went a bit pear-shaped. So I did a lot of research and then went and bought my first property, despite living in Sydney, all the way over in, in Western Australia. At the time, I think a lot of people who knew me probably sniggered at that decision. I thought, you know, why would you go invest all the way over there? But those same people were stunned to see that 18 months later, I doubled my money. And to be honest, I was too. I couldn't sort of believe that my first property had worked out so well. So after that, I was well and truly bitten by the property bug and, you know, how it could certainly accelerate your ability to create wealth. And that's really where my journey began about sort of, you know, looking at, I guess, investing almost counter cyclically and, and finding opportunities um, before everybody else does. Wow, that's amazing. So, how did you determine Western Australia was the place to actually go and invest in? I guess at the time, what I was looking at was the state of the economy. I understood that, you know, if there's a strong economy in a particular state, if there's good jobs growth, that means there's, you know, there's a stronger likelihood people can afford prices and prices to rise. So again, in a sort of putting that sort of commerce finance hat on that I'd learned from, from my university days and looking at the different states and kind of looking at, well, you know, first of all, what could I afford? And as I said, my, I wasn't able to afford a high prices. So I was looking at, you know, well, what could I afford? Where am I going to get a, a good return from a cash flow perspective so the property will get rented uh, easily so I'm not going to have to worry about that too much? And then what are the things that I believe would drive capital growth? I think I fine-tuned that over the last you know, 18 years, but back then I still understood that it came down to there has to be more demand than supply and people have to be able to afford prices. So kind of using a bit of a mismatch at that time, I would still say that I got quite lucky with my first investment, but there was still a bit of science to it back then. Coming up after the break, we'll take a look at where Nero Thambi Pillay landed after his first investment property and what he did to succeed. Once I sort of made that money from my first investment property, I guess I didn't really trust my judgment again or well, I knew I got lucky is probably more accurate and so that's when I really started looking for a mentor to really give me a bit more of a guided process and a framework that I could use going forwards. How many properties has he accumulated over the 18 years since the first property? 
I wish I could tell you I owned all the properties that, that I'd purchased, but one of the biggest mistakes I've made is obviously, well, I've sold more than I would have liked to. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. At a very early age, Thambi Pillay had quite a lot of knowledge. I am a lifelong learner and I'm, I'm a prodigious student. So I constantly read, I constantly look for, you know, what is it that people who've achieved more than me in a particular field that I'd like to achieve more in, what is it they do differently? And so I, I, from a lot of the books I read, I saw that really, you know, there are some commonalities here that we need to look at. You know, investing in property isn't just buying an off-the-plan unit in a suburb nearby that you think you might know and expecting to, you know, uh, make a lot of money. There is a bit more science to it. Now, I said I didn't really know everything um, that I do right now and I still think I've got a lot more to learn. But I just saw that there were a few commonalities, as I said, and so that's what I went for. But once I sort of made that money for my first investment property, I guess I didn't really trust my judgment again. Or, well, I knew I got lucky is probably more accurate. And so that's when I really started looking for a mentor to really give me a bit more of a guided process and a framework that I could use going forwards. Thambi Pillay explains the details about his first investment that eventually led him to be the successful investor he is today. I think it was a four-bedroom house, certainly nothing to look at, you know. I mean, again, one of the things I understood when I'm looking at investing in properties that I wasn't going to live there. So it wasn't as if, you know, it had to meet any kind of criteria for me about the way it looked or whatever else. It really was a case of, uh, you know, a numbers thing. I'm very, with an engineering and finance background, as you can understand, I'm very much a numbers guy. So it really just had to make sense for me on paper. Analytically, I did not want to get emotionally involved. That's really how it was, but it was just a standard vanilla house. I think it was four bedrooms, if I remember correctly. Now, close to shops and schools and some of the key infrastructure that you want to look for. And yeah, very easy to rent out. Excellent. How much did you buy that one for? That first property was, oh, if I remember, it was a hundred and oh, if I remember, 135,000, if I remember correctly. Something's there about. So we're talking some pretty low numbers back then. That's amazing to hear. And how much rent do you, do you remember getting from that? It was nearly $200, about $180, $109 a week when we first started. If I remember correctly, it was, yeah, I guess neutral. I mean, probably slightly on the positive side. But, you know, I wasn't going to retire off the positive cash flow straight away. But it certainly meant that, it, you know, it didn't impact on my ability to keep saving, to keep doing what I need to do to sort of, you know, keep building that portfolio going forwards. So that particular first property, did you go out to the bank to be able to borrow, say, uh, on an 80% loan or like how, how did you manage to, to get that together? I did try a bank um, at the time and then uh, I think I stumbled on a particular broker who was able to sort of, you know, give me four different options um, by coming to my home and I could sort of look at, you know, what's the best option for me and I went down that path. I think back then it was easier to get 90% loans than probably it is right now. Uh, so I just borrowed as much as I could because I didn't have much in savings and I just wanted to get into the market. So yeah, the broker was great and I worked with him for a good few years afterwards until I think he then you know went on to other things. Thambi Pillay's property journey started almost 18 years ago and we find out how many properties he's bought since then. I wish I could tell you I owned all the properties that I'd purchased but one of the biggest mistakes I've made is well, I've sold more than I would have liked to but over the last 18 years, if we talk about what I've bought and what I've sold, it'd be somewhere in the order of 10 to 15, I would think. 
I don't own that many right now. I wish I still did, but I guess one of the mistakes I did make was, you know, getting a little greedy at the time and seeing them the dollar signs and kind of cashing in more quickly than I than I even really needed to. So how many properties do you currently hold? Currently at the moment we're looking at about a half a dozen. It's about half of what I probably had in total. After purchasing 10 to 15 properties in his lifetime, Thambi Pillay has evidently experienced some low moments throughout his property journey. One of the lowest of the lowest would have been the fact that I got greedy too quickly. So I'd already had a few investments that were working well or anything that I had sold, I'd made money on. But I got impatient. I wanted to do it faster. I was inspired by a lot of talk at the time about renovation and buying, renovating and and selling and that sort of thing. So I thought that would be the way to go. So I bought a property that I thought I could renovate and flip for quick cash within a few months. But you know, anyone who knows me will tell you that I don't have a practical bone in my body, right? You know, my wife won't even let me um, hang up, you know, pictures on the walls because she's scared that I'll probably crack the wall. She's right in doing so. You know, I wouldn't let myself do it. So here's me, a guy totally not practical in one way, shape, or form, going and doing a renovation uh, deal. It was a, a recipe for disaster because it was the wrong strategy for me. It could have been a strategy that worked for others, for sure, but it was definitely the wrong strategy for me and it caused me a lot of heartache as I had to learn the renovation process quickly. I didn't know what questions to ask of the tradies. I certainly, I think I felt led down the garden path a few times purely because I was so green, such a novice, and then I thought that just because I had a few properties meant I was some kind of expert when really I was good at identifying markets with good scope for capital growth and good rental yields. I was not a complete novice when it came to renovating. And I was really just, um, you know, I like to escape with my pants on. I lost a little bit of money, yes, but um, it was more the lesson that I went through. However, <laughs> I didn't learn that lesson that time. I had to decide, well, if I fail the first time, I'm going to try again because that's what you do when you make a mistake. You try again. So I did a bigger development deal and that really is when you know things went very much pear-shaped for me. I lost a lot of money and that's when I kind of had to go back with my tail between my tails. I had to sell off some of my better properties just to fund the loss and really kind of get clear on what the right strategy is for me. Thambi Pillay thought it would be a great opportunity to renovate and then sell. The criteria that I applied again was affordability and uh, rental yields, right, which is the same strategy I applied for for the longer term capital growth property. So it was a property in Newcastle and it was, it was around about a hundred and fifty odd thousand dollars at the time and I thought yep it was in a good location close to a school um, and uh, close to a lot of the, a lot of the shops and there was a new shopping center sort of um, being built uh, close by and I thought cool this will be a, a really good location I thought I got a good price uh, for it so that's where I started but as I said it was too far away I was living in Sydney so it's nearly you know and I was about an hour and a half away from where I was living managing it remotely not something that is easy to do, as I found out later on. And really, it should have been something that if I was going to do, I should have done closer to home. But to be honest, it was definitely the wrong strategy for me. And so, and these are the things that I guess, you know, I did not think about. I just looked at the the property. I didn't think about the actual journey of, you know, what I was doing and how was I going to manage it all? How would I be involved? And, you know, sometimes decisions couldn't be made immediately because I wasn't there. And so, you know, maybe I could have had a good project manager, but still ultimately it was my investment. I needed to be the decision maker and I had to be more hands-on, especially with my first one. And it just, yeah, it did not work at all. Despite making these costly mistakes, he continued to invest leading him to his second property. So that was a fairly 
big deal. It wasn't quite a, a knockdown and renovate, but certainly the property needed some fair bit of work. It was a property in Chatswood. I was able to even get some money partners on board and we kind of did this as a big joint venture project. But um, that was, when was that? It was 2008. Eight, uh, happened to be the GFC, uh, started at the same time. We had a number of interest rates um, increases as well. People just weren't buying property and every month interest rates were rising. So my costs were blowing out. The job took much longer than I thought. And we ended up just having to sell it, probably not even without the renovation even being totally complete, just to ensure that, you know, we could get out of it. And it, as I said, it, it hurt me certainly. Fanby Pillay essentially had to think fast and pick himself back up after the mistakes he had made. What was the biggest learning lesson out of his whole experience? I think the biggest uh, learning lesson there was to be more self-aware and accept what my strengths are and accept what my weaknesses are. You know, I think it, when we're young, we kind of many of us think that you know we're um, uh, six foot tall and, and, and bulletproof, or ten foot tall and, and bulletproof. And um, I think what I found is that you know, like I'm not bulletproof. There are certain things that I am not good at, and I need to accept that. So it was, I guess, a real lesson for the ego more than anything else. I figured that if someone else could do it, I could too, but realizing that isn't always true and that you need some help. So that would be one of the biggest lessons and I carry that to this day even with my own investing but also when I'm advising clients. The other thing would be how did I you know, move forward from that? I really had to make a choice and the choice was, well, you know, you can give up now and you're not going to be able to achieve your goals. I mean, giving up never helped anyone achieve their goals any faster. Or I can just you know, lick my wounds and get myself back up and when I'm ready, move forwards again and that's what I chose to do. So, inspired by Nira Thambapili's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. Well, we'll talk about how to apply his strategy for determining the market. I guess where I've come through throughout my lessons is I'm very good at analyzing the market, the economy. No one's got a crystal ball, but there are certainly certain factors that I can use to give myself a good chance of success about the future. The personal attitudes and ways of thinking that have contributed to his success. So now I was going to trust myself. And obviously, you know, we know what's happened in the Sydney market since then. And that certainly is, has helped me sort of move forwards. Thank you to Nira Themba Pele, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.